Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. 30 years ago, which is hard to believe, NWA released Straight Outta Compton. And three years ago, the movie Straight Outta Compton came out, and I did a cover story for Rolling Stone. Uh, Dr. Dre and Ice Cube were on the cover, and I talked to all of the living members of NWA about the movie, but also really about their early years and how that debut album came together and what it meant and I thought since we're just past the 30th anniversary of that album that we'd play some of my interview with Ice Cube, who went into a lot of detail about what it was like in those early days. At the beginning of this interview that I'm about to play, which again was in, we did in LA three years ago, Ice Cube talks about why Straight Outta Compton is still relevant today. Still relevant three years ago, and I would say still relevant now, so let's hear that. But it's a sign of the times movie, too. You know, it has to put the people back into the 80s, into the 90s, see why we did the music. You know, not just, you know, we some young, angry, you know, niggas out of South Central, but why do we, why do we make them kind of records is the question. Right. And that I hope we answer somewhat in the movie. The first answer for people who completely didn't understand was probably, you know, Rodney King and the LA Riots. Mm-hmm. Past couple of years, people are starting to become aware again that it's like there's a Rodney King every day. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, you know, it's, it's incredible. What's, what's, what's sad is that the Fuck the Police record was, I say, 400 years late. To know that. It's been a constant. There's been a thousand Rodney Kings every year that we don't hear about. It's just now with technology, we able to really see right. these pockets of bullshit that you know poor people have been dealing with forever. You know what I mean? So what's good is that what's done in the dark comes to light. And what's bad is that the shit is even done in the dark. You know, that's that's kind of what's what's still you know terrible about the situation, and still what makes our movie relevant today. You know, makes NWA relevant today. So growing up, it's true that Dre was just a couple houses down, is that like that close? So did you know him even as little kids or or like? No, no, he he moved over there after he. Had did his first record, That's right. Dr. Drain's surgery, like '84, '85. Right. Right. He moved over here, and um, you know we just started hanging. And Sir Jinx connected you, was that? Yeah, yeah. Sir Jinx is. He was uh, one of my homeboys that we hung out. You know, Sir Jinx actually, you know, showed me a lot about hip hop. You know, hip hop was new. Yeah, Jinx was like advanced. You know, he was. At turntables, he was scratching, he was break dancing, you know, he had cardboard and shit everywhere. You know what I'm saying? He just was a b-boy before all of us. We were still in the Lakers and the Raiders and girls and shit. You know, we weren't really into hip hop and started dibbling and dabbling. We hear his beats coming out of his house and shit, and I would be interested. So I would go start hanging with Jinx a little more and start rapping. He helped me rap on beat. 
You yeah. know what I mean? I used to rap, but I didn't have a beat, so I just rap all over the place. So, yeah. like, now you got to catch this beat right here, and you got to be on time. And so, you know, we we worked it, and we had a group together, a stereo crew. Uh, we was always waiting for Dre to pop over and show what we got. And then Dre ended up moving with Jinx. So I saw him all the time, so we was able to really develop a cool relationship. And, you know, he was he was moonlighting. He was doing records for other people on the side, beats and shit. I would help him write hooks, write little shit. And then I started helping him write songs for the record crew. And one of the songs I wrote became a local hit. Is that Cabbage Patch? Cabbage Patch. Yeah. It became like a local hit. So he really had confidence in me then. So we started doing these neighborhood mixtapes, talking about the neighborhood, and you know, it was really like the beginning of our style. And um, shit started catching on, and then Easy E got a hold of one of those tapes and kind of hunted Dre down and made that connection. So that's kind of how. The style of like I listen to uh, you know you listen to CIA songs like my posse. It's like it's like uh, Run DMC and a little like Beastie Boys, right? Yeah, I mean, you know it was big. We was big fans of of, of, of uh, License to Ill. Big fans of Run DMC at the time when we did that record. So Dre had us fucking in there, damn near emulating that style, you know. But it was cool. It just wasn't. The shit. The records we was doing for the mixtapes were the shit. Mm. Like street records talking about the neighborhood and what's going on. Were there, were there sort of what you might have called reality rap songs you were doing before Boys in the Hood? Was that, was it, that was not really the first one in that style? Or? Yeah, it was, it was reality raps, you know, before Boys in the Hood. These were all just, you know, 16 bars at the beginning of a mixtape. It's real quick shit, nothing long. But, you know, we can say what we want to say. And we, can, you know, we knew they weren't going to be sold nowhere but in the neighborhood, so it was, mm. it was more, I guess, it just made more sense to, to bring our thinking down to a neighborhood level instead of thinking that we're going to be the Beastie Boys and shit. Right. On the world tour with Mr. Malcolm McClan and shit, you know what I mean? It's like we we didn't have no fucking thoughts of grandeur like that. It just was like this shit gonna be hood shit. Let's talk about hood shit, and then that became our signature style. What did you hear that was doing that kind of thing? This at six in the morning, right? That was a six in the morning. This is even a little before six in the morning. I think the first thing we heard was. PSK, Schooly D, Chest Ice. They had this dirty ass rap called Latoya. <laughs> I mean, it was like it was like the nasty version of Lottie Dottie. <laughs> um, and Blowfly had rap dirty. You know, so it was just like these fringe raps that were X-rated. So it's as much the dirty part as the street reality part, right? That it was yeah, I mean, because, you know, the thing is, is hip-hop, you know, before it was all about talking about horror shit, it was like, how clever are you? How right? How um, damn near funny you can be. You know what I mean? How entertaining can you be with a rap? 
So, you know, to rap, to rap, you know, people like Blowfly and shit like that was, they had, they had the style to me down pat. He was talking dirty and cussing, he was rhyming, and but he was talking about some fly shit right. that pertained to him. So, to me, that style was just, it was raw, but it was perfect. For him, you know. And some of the stuff you were doing live, right? Like Diane, you had a thing. Did you have a thing called Diane? Diane that was with like Roger yeah, yeah, yeah. We, uh, you know, we, we was gonna do a show, and Dre was like, "Man, you gotta, y'all have to be clever because just getting up there rapping, nobody wanna hear that shit. Y'all gotta do something that's entertaining and clever." So what we did was take Roxanne, Roxanne, and flipped it into this dirty rap called Diane, Diane. Do you, shit. do you remember her name? Yo, Kate. Yo, Kate, Yo, what's up, man? They got that bitch they call Diane. Damn. I don't know. It was just... <laughs> we took their whole rap and flipped it. Flipped it, yeah. And the crowd went crazy. And, you know, all these things were helping us figure out what we needed to do. And then Easy just was like, I want to do those kind of records. I mean, I want to do records, but I want them to be hard and dirty. I don't want to do the clean shit y'all trying to get played on the radio. Yeah. What was your first impression of these? Yeah? A little hustler. Yeah. Yeah. You know, a little hustler, like a little dope dealer. Just feeler, track shoot. You know, this shit was just all fresh and clean. A little jewelry on. Just tell somebody. Did you like her at the first class? Mm-hmm. I admired him. You know, he should making money in right. the neighborhood. You know what I'm saying? Right. He had money. He had his clientele. He was doing this shit. Didn't ask nobody for shit. So yeah, I'm done. He came to Dre, as far as you know, and said, "I want to do a label." Or maybe start out with a record store, or is this more of a dread? You don't, I mean, I'm curious what, you, what your I, version of the... I, you know, all I know is, like, him and Dre was powwowing a lot. Yeah. And, you know, he just was like, yeah, I'm going to start Rufus Records. You know, so I tried to talk to Dre on really what turned him on to do that. But, you know, Dre was like, all right. And we, he had this group. That he was gonna put on Easy's label called HBO. Right. And um, he told me to write something for him. Yeah, he didn't tell HBO what I was writing for him. <laughs> so, did you, were you sitting in an English class at high school writing that? That's the, that's the yeah, kind of legend, yeah? Yeah, I was in a lot of classes writing that shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like scribbling in a notebook while you were not paying attention? I was writing rhymes, you know what I mean, while shit was going on. It was more interesting than, than the English I was learning. <laughs> Listen to that now, and it's still like a really impressive piece of work. Like there's a lot, there's so much going on in that, so much vivid imagery, so much life in it. Like was that? How much of that was was you know the details were made up, or how much of it was stuff you'd observed, or how much like what we were? It was all to me neighborhood shit that yeah. that we all seen, heard, or went through growing up. You know, it's like. Just accumulation of all kind of crazy shit that we kind of grew up privy to and just put it in the line. It was like, I mean, to a certain extent, there was a certain fantasy because you weren't 
that gangster you were a kid who hadn't been involved in anything like a lot of that stuff? Well, you know, it's like it's hard to it's hard to grow up in South Central and be completely clean of anything. Yeah. So it don't matter what age you are, all that shit is affecting you, all that shit is coming right to your doorstep. You know, so you can't get out the way. You know, it's like you either you either embrace it or get ran over by it. So our way to embrace it not only was Dylan but was to make music too. You know, you know, it's, it's just hard to explain how, you know, you just can't be in, from the neighborhoods and just come out squeaky clean. It just, it just don't happen. I've heard you say that you, you, know, you had a father and an older brother, mm-hmm. and so there was a, a lot of stability to kind of keep you... Yeah, it was like more shit to deal with than gangbangers, you know what I mean? It was like, you dealt with gangbangers in the street, but... I was going to have to deal with my pops 24-7. I was going to have to deal with my brother 24-7. So, fortunately, I just started doing positive shit before I really got caught up. You know, it was like the music, doing hip-hop, playing sports, basketball, football. You know, I stayed doing shit. How, where were your parents of, like, your this beginning of, of, of your hip-hop career while you were in high school? Like, how about... What was it? What did they think of that? They asked me why did I have to cuss so much. <laughs> how realistic was that... Did you feel that the scene of recording... Did you actually... Were you actually thrown out of the studio to, to stop laughing at easy with the, all that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, yeah. it was... Uh, it got to a point where, you know, they was in there so long, it was just like... It was better for us to, to leave. You know, it got abbreviated for the movie, but... Got to a point where it was just better. So Drake could just focus on easy, easy wasn't worried about us. He wasn't worried about how he sounded. If shit came out stupid, nobody would ever know. Yeah. You know, I was like, it was just all done to make him comfortable. <laughs> you created Easy E the rapper in that moment, you know, and then then you created someone whose solo album came out way before you got to do one and all that. That's a weird, yeah. I mean, that was a weird feature of the thing, right, is that Easy Does It came out like three months, I think, before Straight Outta Compton. Did you, at the time, did that start to ring alarm bells for you, or was that a, It was dope, you know, yeah. it was like he was the star that, that we, you know, all created, so to speak, and, you know, he was blowing up, and... You know, with NWA, he was actually spreading the love. You know what I'm saying? It was like, I'm blowing up. Now, if I'm, if I'm blowing up and then I'm part of this crew, then the crew going to blow up with me. So it was just, that's how it happened. We was just happy somebody out the damn crew was blowing up. Right. And that we wasn't going to be just stuck as locals. Like, how much of his rhymes were you writing? At the beginning, mostly all of them. You know, and then as the albums start coming, you know, Rand started writing something in DOC. So it was between us three. And did you have, like, a, a character in mind for him? Because you, you definitely wrote differently for him than you would write for yourself, it feels like. Yeah, I mean, he, he kind of had his own persona that was, you know, people used to think he was 15 for a long time, you know, so. <laughs> it's like, 
it was down there like a, not really like a cartoon image, but you could do anything, you know, from, I mean, we had a Gumby fucking line. He was one set back from around the right. So it was like, that easy name was just like, something you can play with, fuck with, you know. Remind me of Bootsy or somebody. It was like, mm, that's a good comparison. I like that. Name. You know, it was yeah. just that name where you could do anything with it. You know, he could have been action figure or whatever he wanted to do with that. Right. You know, it was it was the perfect persona to play with. You know, it was bad, but it was vivid. You know, like a Chucky doll or something. You know, it's just like <laughs> you know, just this fucking thing that's. You know, got a life of its own. At some point, though, you split and, like, went to college for a while. Yeah. You know, I, I just... West Coast hip-hop at the time was just so in its infancy. We never knew it was going to come off the launching pad. We never knew it was going to blow. So I wanted to have something to fall back on. You know, and... Going to a technical trade school was, was the best thing to do. And then you, but you came back, and then, like, what was the situation with the records at that point? Like, what? Because shit was blowing up. Yeah, you know, everybody so. was, they was doing shows. We had, you know, setting up tours and all kind of stuff. So it was in full swing when I got back. It was actually after you'd already recorded Strata Compton at that point, or no? No, no you recorded I got back. You recorded it yeah. in the posse. You recorded it. Yeah, the, those yeah. were. Yeah. NWA and the posse wasn't really an album. It was just. All of our singles they put together. Right. Got it. And some of our guys that we was associated with. So that was never really a sanctioned NWA album. It was more of a record company's compilation. Mm -hmm. You know, so the album, when I I got back, they were starting to work on Easy Does It. Right. And from there, we went from Easy Does It straight to Straight Outta Compton. Your high school, were you bust into like a a white neighborhood? Yeah, I was bust into the... uh, San Fernando Valley. Uh huh. So like thirty miles or something. Thirty. It was a thirty mile bus ride. Some shit like that. Twenty five, thirty. Yeah. Every day. Every day. That's crazy. That's, yeah, it was. <laughs> <laughs> That's really far. So and not, I mean, far geographically and also far culturally, right? Yeah. Was a, what did you take away from 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 seeing that? That. Damn, we really are poor. <laughs> I was doing pretty good. <laughs> we really don't have shit in our neighborhoods. It was like going to the Brady Bunch every day, to be honest. Like, <laughs> part, you know, going to the Partridge family. <laughs> it's like jumping in a bus full of black kids from the hood into these white schools. A little culture shock, but, you know, after a while, you was able to once used the word injustice to talk about what you saw. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's just the haves and the have-nots. Everything's better from books to classrooms to facilities to teachers. It's like everything was better out there than going there to Washington, my local school. I don't think I would have had a perspective I have on things if I just went to the school in the hood. I wouldn't be as world in a lot of ways. Yeah. I think that's what helped me be able to deal with Jerry Heller. Uh-huh. There was no intimidation factor at all. He looked like one of my bullshit history teachers and shit. 
I, I wonder if it also did it also help you maybe to be suspicious of him from the start. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it made me know how to deal with white people. You know what I'm saying? In the hood, you you don't come across them. You don't know how to deal with them. You know, we pretty much all same. Isn't that right is right, wrong is wrong. Real shit is real shit, and bullshit is bullshit. You know? uh-huh. Your sort of ex- actual experience with police harassment. Mm-hmm. When, how consistent was that? When we want to start? It's just I don't know nobody from the hood who ain't really been fucked with by the police at some point. And when you're in the hood, they get you early. They get you. They start fucking with you when you nine, ten. Just to just to put that intimidation in you. You know, just to start intimidating you at an early age and make sure they fuck with you. Even if you, whether you did nothing or not, it's just like, we gotta make sure we're imprinting our fucking stamp on these young dudes that we might have to deal with when they get a little older. So, you know, they start at an early age fucking with you, pulling you off your bike, making you put your hands on the hood, You'd be sitting, fucking nine, ten-year-olds sitting on the grass, just play football. The motherfucker swoop up and fuck with you. You know what I mean? Until you either get out the neighborhood or, you know, whatever you do. But it's just, as a teenager, it just happened all the fucking time. All the time. Even recording the records, we just get fucked with. The torrents. Just like in the movie, isn't it? Just like in the movie. Yeah. Just fucking with you. You know, fucking with you if you bad, fucking with you if you good, it don't matter. Systematic, you know, it's like make sure you fucking put a good imprint. You know what I mean? On these young ones, so they know to fucking be scared of you when they get older. And the and this fear turns into resentment, frustration, and hatred. Fuck the police itself. By one account, you had like some of you had like maybe the chorus or a little bit of it, and Dre at first wasn't necessarily into it at first. Is that do you remember? Yeah. That? Well, Dre was. He had to go and do weekends in the county, so he didn't want them. He was like, "Man, we ain't about to do this song. I got to go to the county every fucking weekend, and I, you know, I'm I'm not about to give these motherfuckers no extra room to fuck me up." In, in jail. Right. So he didn't want to do it at that time until he got, until he, you know, I guess got off of that, that uh, weekend furlough, whatever the fucking shit is, weekend something. Mm. You got to go to jail every Friday, get out every Monday. <laughs> <laughs> it's like weekend jail. So while, while, we was, while he was doing that, he didn't want to have nothing to do with the song, but, you know, months later when I brought it back up, wasn't uh, under that condition or whatever, so he was with it. Fuck the police coming straight from the underground. A young nigga got it bad because I'm brown. And not the other color, so police think they have the authority to kill a minority. You couldn't have predicted that the FBI was going to write you a letter, but in some sense you must have known this, but it would stir up some shit in somewhere or another. I remember recording a song and ran... Looked at me, said, "Out of all our songs, this one's this one right here gonna start some shit." So it's like we had a sense. That's what we wanted to do. Or it's like, why do it? Right. 
If the song ain't gonna make the police mad, why the fuck do it? <laughs> Call us for Edda Compton to make make that such a big part of your identity and the songs. Like, what was the thought behind that? If you well, I mean, at the time, everybody was calling out their hoods. If you was from a borough. You know, it was Brooklyn's in the house. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Bronx, yeah. Money Down Bronx, Money Making Manhattan. You know what I mean? It was like, you know, Uptown. Everybody was talking shit about where they from. But, but it was all New York. It's it's all New York. York. Yeah, that's and right. that's, that, that's what yeah. Easy's whole thing is we got to put Compton on the map. Right. You know, that was this whole fucking thing that even people in L.A. was embarrassed to say they was from Compton. Mm. <laughs> Compton was just like... Yo, the the worst of the worst. Uh-huh. So Easy was like, man, I'm gonna be proud of Compton. So he wanted to put Compton on the map day one. He was like, man, motherfuckers yelling all that Brooklyn shit all the time. Motherfuckers is yelling the Bronx. Motherfuckers <laughs> is yelling out they hoods. Let's yell out Compton. So there's also a sense that West Coast hip hop in general needed to be established much more strongly, right? It, 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 yeah. It felt like- yeah, you know, Ice-T had done a lot to bridge the gap, but it was still, you know, still a lot of uh, work needed to be done. Somebody else needed to, to solidify what he was doing a little bit, a whole nother group with a whole nother flavor that had music that was, you know, worldwide. You know, it was a sense of pride. But not to where we were saying what we doing is better, or we was just—it was more like look at us too. You know, we wanted to be accepted into the hip hop nation. There's a, there's a sense that so once the record came out, you started to become popular. That you, on some level, when you see it in the movie when you have all the guns in the hotel, that you started to a certain extent. Not you personally, but just this group, like starting to live out the lyrics a little more. You bought a bunch of guns, like which Jerry supposedly supposedly he he, he expensed it as stage props or something, like mm-hmm. like in that that maybe somehow almost like the lyrics were coming to life. Is that accurate? I think you know, it's not like not really. You know, the lyrics didn't have to come to life because we all felt like we living in the middle of this shit. You know, it ain't it ain't nowhere to escape. So we are in the middle of. Dope dealing, gang banging, police brutality, fucking Reaganomics, just everything. We was to to us stuck in the middle of that shit, and so we was just doing what we would naturally be doing if we wasn't making music. You see what I mean? Right. We'd just be out there trying to trying to survive. Right. You see what I'm saying? Right. So you just happen to be doing it. You know? Yeah. It's yeah. like. If we had the money to buy guns, we would have bought guns, <laughs> whether we was making music or not. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. It's like, I bought my first shotgun, and I was 17 years old, just because I had enough money. I was able to go do it. You see what I'm saying? So, yeah. it was like, we was just able to get the thing that we wanted to get anyway. We just had the money to do it now. You know, so, Eric had all kind of guns, but when he got money, he got bigger guns. <laughs> You see what I mean? Just right. that big, outrageous shit. Yeah. Just because we had the money, you know? So, we didn't realize that we were actually something special until we went on tour. And then we started to see, oh shit, we actually becoming a fucking musical group. Right, for real. Yeah. And we just 
locals getting together, doing some shit, and then going back and doing what we usually do until it's time to come back again, you know? So we was like, oh, we, we actually a group. Right. For that and moment. For that moment. Yeah, yeah. And then it all fucking unraveled. It's like as soon as we realized it, it all started to come apart. The, it was actually on that, in the movie, it's sort of like as, you're, as the tour is ending that you left, but it was actually sort of during that tour, right, that it became clear that, that you wanted to be able to continue. Yeah. It's like late. It was like still late during the tour. Realized the shit was. Still didn't realize it was going to be super funky until we was off to it. I still thought it was going to get rectified. And there's also the business of your solo album and when it would come out and all that, right? It wasn't a, some of that. That wasn't even the yeah. question. Yeah. You know, I wasn't like, man, where's my shit? Where's my shit? <laughs> it was like, I was just, I knew I was in line. Right. I was just waiting my turn, you know, it was like, we was already on a wave, this big NWA wave, I didn't need to add a solo record to that, you know, a lot of people were like, well, he left because he wasn't, his solo album didn't come up fast enough, you know? like, I wouldn't care if we did another NWA record, mm. and then a solo record, so it just it was, wasn't really about that at all. Yeah, a lot of people do think that, so, so it was more purely about the, just the feeling that you were not quite simply weren't getting paid where you, where you should have yeah you know it was a the real discrepancy was they wanted to treat the Easy e album and the Straight Outta Compton album as separate entities meaning Easy would just get paid off the Easy album and then we would all get paid off the NWA album including Easy and I was like wait a minute we we put just as much work into the, the Easy album as we did with NWA right we should all split both records. And I, they just thought out that was the craziest concept in the world. And I just was like, y'all act like Easy did this record by itself. Right. That is an NWA record. It just has one artist on it. So they didn't want to see it my way. Jerry and you guys never did not get along, but it was also Eric, right? I mean, like, he, yeah. I mean, you know, I'm pretty, it's like, Eric didn't know the business. He was learning the business mm-hmm. as he was going along. So I think he would have did whatever Jerry advised him to do. And I just think Jerry was like, I don't need to do that. Just work it out. Here's how you should get paid. And he just ran with that instead of actually working it out. Heller has has actually blamed Brian Turner for encouraging you to leave. Not at all. Yeah. Brian Turner was trying to discourage me from leaving. Like, man, you sure? Why you want to leave? Why you want to leave? I'm like, dude, it just ain't working. Yeah. This motherfucker Jerry is a fucking liar. Yeah. He's a liar. You know, just tried some shit that didn't work and got caught. And instead of paying me, they would rather kick me out so I don't have to pay everybody else. They hear Q got paid. Everybody's like, what about me? What about me? What about me? So. It's easier to get rid of that problem instead of paying all five guys or four guys. So it was to me like they just thought that it wouldn't matter. There's some weird elements to the, to the split, or what I was gonna say is like for all of the the intense battle raps and stuff. Like you had lunch with Dre, like 
right when after you recorded No Vaseline, right, right before it came out. So it's like this weird thing where never on a personal level seemed to get as hostile as people might imagine from the record. I mean, how do you well, see you know, that? it was like, if you listen to America's Most Wanted, it's nothing said about NWA. That's right after the breakup. So it, I wasn't even going to go there with him on record at all. It, right. To me, it was like, it was a business decision you guys made. Wrong, but, but whatever. And I was moving on. And then I'm hearing all these disses yeah. to me. So I'm yeah. like, I got to retaliate. I didn't really have venom for nobody really but Jerry Heller. And, and easy for letting Jerry Heller dictate so much shit. But Dre and Ren and Yella, you know, it's kind of like, only, only, only diss them because they diss me on right. record. You right. know what I'm saying? And if they wouldn't have went there with me, I would have never dissed them. The niggas with attitudes, who you fooling? Y'all niggas just phony. I put that on my mama and my dead homies. Yellow boys on your team, so you're losing. Hey, yo, Drake, stick to producing. Calling me on a book, you Benedict. Easy E, so you ass and win in it quick. Would have, you know, in, in retrospect, you obviously would have saved yourself a lot of shit if you not put if you not put in a few lines of no Vaseline about Jerry. But yeah, I, yeah. I, I like when the movies are there. People don't even know what anti-Semitic means. It's I didn't know what it meant until <laughs> that's true. No, I didn't. Motherfuckers started coming after me. It was like, yo, you can't say that. And I'm like, well, why not? Because you, you know, I got to explain why it was just not cool to. To lump Jerry, you know, with 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 anybody cool, you know what I'm saying? It's like if we want to diss Jerry, just diss Jerry off by itself. Shouldn't have brought that into it. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, I understand. But it doesn't mean that I'm anti-Semitic. Like I was like, yo, I'm ready. I want to hurt. You know what I mean? Uh, the whole Jewish race and all this bullshit. It's like. I just don't like that motherfucker, and y'all shouldn't like him either. <laughs> but you know, I, I understood. You know, it was a lesson learned. But it, it was still just a battle rap, to be honest. It was just a diss. It wasn't like, uh, with all of them, it was just a battle rap. From what I understand, it is true that before Easy passed away, there was you guys really were talking about. It. Yeah. Record. yeah, yeah. I saw him at the tunnel in New York months before he died, and uh, it's a trip because it was like old times, you know. It was like we was all past the apologies, all past, yo, you know, feeling funny. It was just, it was just like old times. We was just sitting there fucking talking about people, you know. Like, Look what he got, what the fuck she got, you know. Just clowning, having fun, just. How we usually work. Yeah. It was the first time we was back to normal, you know, back to how it was in '89. Yeah, um, and we hadn't had a lot of face-to-face conversations, but this one was like, I really thought we was really mending what had broke. Pretty sad. Man. It, it is. Yeah. yeah, it is, man. Because I had so much hope. You know, when you when you getting into it with somebody and it's over, right? There's a sense of relief of 
know what? That shit is over. Right. You can turn the page on that. So it was that sense of relief that, you know, whenever you can get a beef off your shoulder, this always feels good. It always takes the weight off. So, and I was optimistic. You know, but I knew him and Dre were just in the thick of their issues. But he was like, he was confident that you know, he don't have Jerry Heller with him no more. And that he can work it out with Dre. You know, Dre was always like the best as far as what he wanted to do. Right. You know what I mean? As far as like when he was DJing, he was one of the best DJs in the Right. Scratches was cleaner. <laughs> His blends were were effortless, you know what I mean? It was just like he it looked like he did things effortless. That sound is so great. And that he always had that that magic, you know, when it comes to music and you know, I always felt um, that I was in good hands. You know what I mean? I always felt like in working with Dre, he gonna, he gonna make sure his sound is good as it can sound. Right. Even when he sets up speakers in the club when he was DJing. Right. That's like where he put them, how he EQ'd them, and it just sounded bigger and better than everybody else's party. So, you know, he just has that, that in him, you know, when he started doing beats and making mixtapes, his was sounding better than everybody else, you know. It was one person who could, who I think was able to compete with him for a while, but then even he couldn't sustain it. And it was this other guy named Egyptian Lover. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Who was big. You know, he was, at the time when I first met Drake, Egyptian Lover was a bigger DJ. Egyptian Lover did better records. You know, trace the past. Yeah, yeah, quickly. Hmm. A few years. So that was Ice Cube talking about the early days of NWA and his early days. And again, that was for a cover story I did for Rolling Stone in 2015 about the movie. And it, it's funny that Cube was saying that about Dre's engineering skill because. The technical aspect is what Jimmy Iovine first noticed in Dre's records and and led him towards him because Jimmy Iovine was also obviously an engineer. And reporting that story was a wild ride. One of the things that happened is the late Jerry Heller, who was, of course, NWA's original manager and doesn't come off super well in the movie, called me in what was an off-the-record call. He's since passed away. And just like harangued me for an hour about everything that was wrong supposedly with the movie and everything that they're ungrateful for and everything and it was it's too bad it was it was it was off the record but it was wild he then proceeded to to sue everyone in sight uh, over the movie and then uh, passed away and i'm not actually sure whether the lawsuit like continued <laughs> after posthumously we'll have to look that up anyway this has been today's rolling stone music now for the 30th anniversary of Straight Outta Compton. How are these albums 30 years old? How is that possible? We'll be back next week here on SiriusXM's volume, channel 106. In the meantime, we are a podcast. Download us as a podcast. Subscribe to us as a podcast. Maybe leave us a nice review on iTunes. 
And as always, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was the three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.